Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. This episode is from a live recording that aired on August 15th of this year. Facilitating the discussion has been Vinder Kaur. Thank you for joining today's webinar hosted by the Sick Research Institute. This webinar will begin with a 15-minute discussion between our presenters, after which I will pop back in to moderate 30 to 40 minutes of Q&A from the audience. Now, I would like to introduce you to today's presenters. First, we have Amandeep Sandhu. Amandeep was born in Rokerla. He completed his master's in English literature from the University of Hyderabad. He worked as a journalist and later as a technical writer. His first two books were autobiographical fiction, Sepia Leaves and Roll of Honor. For the past few years, he has written for the media and contributed to anthologies. He now lives in Karnataka. Punjab, Journeys Through Fault Lines is his first nonfiction work. He also uh, gave us a great little background on his love of Farchi. So maybe he'll, he'll throw that into today's conversation as well. Next up, we have Harinder Singh. Harinder Singh is a widely respected educator and thinker who is deeply in love with one force, the oneness that radiates in all. He currently serves as the Senior Fellow, Research and Policy at the Sikh Research Institute. He holds a BSc in Aerospace Engineering, MSc in Engineering Management, and an MPhil in Guru Granth Sahib. And as we recently discovered, he is secretly a millennial who enjoys light, single-origin pour-overs and critically acclaimed Bollywood films. And lastly, we have Sredavish Singh. Uh, he is a New Delhi-based policy analyst. He is associated with the Jindal School of International Affairs, OPI Jindal Global University uh, in Sanapat, Haryana. His research interests include the role of Punjab in India-Pakistan ties, the Belt and Road Initiative, and the changing nature of Indian federalism. He authored South Asian Cooperation and the Role of the Punjabis, and co-authored Humanity Amidst Insanity, Hope During the During and After the Indo-Pak Partition. He also enjoys a piping hot cup of coffee in the hot Indian sun. So please welcome all three of our presenters today. Uh, thank you, Manvinder, and Guru Fateh, and greetings of the day to all of you joining us today. Uh, you know, the world today, and between yesterday and today has been talking about uh, quote-unquote independence for India and Pakistan. Uh, when I started looking into these things, the number one go-to book used to be Freedom at Midnight. And then you start to learn that, uh, was this really an independence or technically was it a transfer of power act which actually created these things? Uh, you know, one part is very clear. The partition really was of Punjab and Bengal. That's the fact. And in today's context, for our purposes, we're gonna focus on the Punjab part and within there, we also know, which is uncontestable fact, that the Sikh contributions to bring freedom to South Asia are also unquestionable. Uh, yet, the Sikh aspirations and the Punjabi aspirations remain in limbo in last 73 years. So for this discussion, what we are going to presume is not going to the backgrounds of what the Punjab is, what the partition is, who the Sikhs are, 
we're going to presume we all know this and we're going to carry along the conversation into uh, what is where the current 80% of the Sikh population lives is the Indian side of Punjab. So a lot of the nuancing and insights will come from that angle. And then the other focus will be that you cannot really separate Punjabi and a Sikh, Punjab or a Sikh, because of the historical nature, the cultural nature, and geographical, physical, electoral, even when we talk about homeland diaspora angles, they're inseparable. So when we say we're talking about Punjab's aspirations, yes, they might differ a little bit from a Sikh aspiration, but they are inseparable. So we misunderstand both ideas of the Punjabi aspiration as well as Sikh aspiration, specifically in the Indian context now. So also we are not uh, going to be bite-sizing anything. So we will have longer responses because the idea is to gain insights and idea is to nuance the conversation. And we will focus on two, three questions with each uh, participant. Um, one thing, uh, I think all of our panelists, and I know Devesh and Amandi, both of them, we have had conversations. I have read their articles. I have read their books. I've enjoyed coffees with them as well in some occasions. Uh, one thing we all are very clear on is that uh, cries are upon us, that the great chances of completely breaking down the Punjabi psyche and completely breaking down the Sikh fabric is in front of us. Uh, this year is no exception to that. Even in this COVID age and also in this uh, hyper extreme right age in global age, as well as wherever the Sikh communities and the Punjab communities are facing. So I'm going to start with this as I welcome Amandeep and Tridevesh into this, that, you know, this conversation, which has become about this Punjab or that Punjab or this Sikh or that Sikh, we're going to try to go beyond that. We're going to go actually look into whatever that Punjabi, because there is no monolith of any of this. So actually, Tridevesh, let me actually come to you then for a second. I want you to understand the psyche question more, but we'll flip it. Let's actually bring it uh, head on. This is 2020. We are sitting here right now where six have been part of the electoral process in India. And as I said at the onset, 80% of the six still live in the Indian side of Punjab right now. And the rest, probably 10% more live on the rest of India. So if six were the architects of this federalism, which now the Indian uh, uh, liberals and the Indian progressives are adopted and are talking about openly, that this is what the future of India needs to look like. And six were the original architects of it. And why can't we do the same in Punjab now? And why can't we go beyond the uh, creating alliances with the two major parties? Or even when we make, a, uh, make alliances with those two major parties, how come we are not adding conditions? Because this is where the six need to be exercising within the Indian confines. Uh, so at the outset, Vaigriji Khalsa, Vaigriji Fateh, uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my views. Uh, so the first, you know, there are a couple of things. While we, at times, we need to avoid history, but, you know, we cannot ignore it. Uh, if you look at the 1960s and the 1970s, the first articulation of federalism in India, as you said, was clearly by the Shromani Kalidal. What has happened since 1996? There are two things which have happened simultaneously. The first thing is at a political level, you have given unconditional support to one party, which is the BJP. So now nothing wrong with alliances, but once you start giving unconditional support, there's no such thing as unconditional in politics. There has to be a bit of transactionalism. So that is the first mistake. The second mistake is that even if you look at the ideology of the party itself, uh, so 
what by trying to be inclusive there's nothing wrong in being inclusive but in being inclusive you even gave up some of the clear uh, sort of you know arguments of the anandpur sahib resolution of the 1970s this happened in 1996 as well so i think these are two points which we cannot ignore at all these are two historical points now after that between 1996 and now you at an at the level of sikh activists you do have people showing solidarity sikh groups have, have obviously been showing solidarity with other minorities in india uh, and you know this it's not only restricted obviously to punjab delhi kashmir everywhere they have been showing uh, shaheen bagh they showed solidarity but you don't see that sort of uh, you know out of the box thinking or strategic thinking by any of the political parties not just the shromni akali dal even the congress or any of the punjab based parties now there are two ways out of this see the first thing is a political we really don't know how the politics is going to shape up but you have to be prepared in any case now the preparation can only come if you start following if nothing as you know if you start working with the other region because there are a lot of regional parties whether from west bengal or from kerala which have been flagging issues of uh, federal pertaining to federalism and who are worried about the increasing centralization so whether it's the akali dal whether it's other parties from punjab the first step is showing more and more you know showing more solidarity now we have an example of this from apart from the anandpur sahib resolution in the late 1960s uh, even the, the then chief minister of punjab justice gurnam singh and the uh, of karunanidhi who later on allied with both the congress and the bjp you know as an that shows their pragmatism but gurnam singh and karunanidhi had quite a rapport and they were actually going to even have a conclave where you're going to have Uh, representatives of various regional parties so you need this sort of thinking which has totally gone you have on the one hand you have totally unconditional support to political party on the other hand you have the political outfits not thinking out of the box not looking left or right not extending the sort of solidarity they should be showing to other uh, minorities not just religious but linguistic and and the, we need to also understand that this you have to ultimately target certain states so the non hindi heartland states should be the first target where you start building alliances thank you for sharing that actually let's explore this a little bit further you know before as you said there pragmatism exist in other political parties in india and the six and punjabi aspirations ideally need to be articulated well and know what it is but at the same time be ready with conditional supports and we can see historical parallels even in the guru period when the ideals weren't clear but whoever had a better value system which aligned with the guru's value systems we do see those supports which the guru sahib provided to particular princes or particular uh, chiefs or rajas as we call them at the time as well but within this context i think there was a small attempt at it and i would like your uh, take on it couple of years ago when uh, nitish kumar had not changed his party i think there were conversations happening when he came to punjab to figure out if a third front can be developed at a pan india level or within india level i should say uh when in this case with a hindi belt or a cow belt as they say in india but i think the other option which existed but i don't know if it was explored was when there was a possibility of mamta banerji creating a non hindi third of a third alliance any insights on that front yeah so uh, even mamta banerji also set up a unit in punjab it wasn't very successful uh so ultimately i think what every political party in punjab also wants is that you know these either of these regional parties they should at least have you know a significant presence in parliament which means you know at least double figures plus i mean 
in, in the case of TMC, that is there. But what the other regional parties also need to realize if they want to make headwind Punjab is, you know, it takes time. You can't just come overnight, you put two years to the election and suddenly uh, sort of say that, you know, we want to build alliances and all. I think the best way is that some of the... Uh, strategists of these political parties, for instance, now you have four years to the next election. So if, you know, first, the, the problem at this point of time is you don't know what is going to be the third front in Punjab. SAD is obviously the BJP as of now. So the alternative is whichever third front, whether it's, uh, you know, you have Dharamir, Dr. Dharamir, so many uh, alternatives. Now, which one of them emerges? But they need to start working and they need to also target, you know, two or three states, whether it's West Bengal, whether it's Kerala. And it's not just a political alliance. There are issues. I mean, there are issues pertaining to uh, GST. There are issues pertaining to the use of natural resources. There are issues pertaining to agriculture. And outside the political spectrum, in 2018, you did have the finance ministers of non-Congress states, actually uh, non-BJP states rather. So you had Manpreet Badal from Punjab and the and then other, for instance, the FM of Kerala and some other states actually discussing issues pertaining to the GST. Now, some dialogue like that can be a good starting point. And I may yeah. also add that one needn't be closed. It doesn't have to be the, a regional party. I have also noticed that even the Congress, for instance, the Congress from southern states, uh, Congress leaders from southern states and other parts of India, sometimes they act more like regional leaders. Whereas on the other hand, if you look at the case of Punjab, again, you know, if you, you flip it. So basically, you have Delhi's representative in Punjab rather than Punjab's representative in Delhi. Right. So this is a very important point. And I just want to contextualize a little bit for audience again, is that if, this is talking about the options of those who are participating in the electoral politics of Punjab and those who are six or in Punjab or outside of Punjab, that level of nuancing which is needed in order to create a seat on the table so you can have some serious representation beyond campaigning, beyond the YouTube videos and beyond the Facebook videos or beyond the newspaper headlines. How do you really create a space for Punjab and how do you really create space for six? So Amandeep, if you can share within six psyche, what have you discovered are the traumas and the um, complexes which have specially been born so it's a, it's a period of 171 years from 1849, but specifically from 4784. Yeah. So um, I hope Maini Saab has uh, filled in with his answer. I could not hear it. I'm very sorry. But yeah, so I was at the point that before 1849, in history, we know that the period is known as Maharaja Ranjit Singh's empire. Uh, in many ways, it is called the Sikh Empire. And once the British, uh, through the two Anglo-Saxon uh, Anglo-Sikh wars, occupy Punjab, uh, there is a sense of immense loss. There is a sense of uh, 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 loss of a, of a kingdom completely. And though Punjab at that time initially was very good in literacy levels and education levels, the British really targeted it and uh, they were burning the Kaidas all over the place. But Punjab also faced immense misery in terms of famine and malaria. And that left the community even more bewildered. Here is the loss of a kingdom which was, uh, which the British could not cross the suffrage, that was the limit of it. And now suddenly under the British there is this um, great natural calamities as well as the loss of power. 
And when that happens, often uh, we, when when something as big as that is lost from us, we tend to blame somebody or the other, and that starts the blame game in Punjab. Uh, we'll cut short from what the British did to develop Punjab's agrarian system, the canal colonies, and all those things. But uh, we also need to note that in 1947, for which the Punjabis and especially the Sikhs had contributed massively, uh, when 47 happens, and today is the day on which independence happens, the whole of the country keeps celebrating Independence Day for 73 years. It has done that. And nobody talks about partition. This is a lack of acknowledgement of the trauma that Punjab and Bengal went through. And this is so etched in the memory, and it is revived every year. Every year, the nation is full of rainbow colors. It is celebrating its higher nationalism, patriotism, and all those kind of things. And here is the community which is seeing that between Bengal and Punjab, one million people died. 14 million people were displaced. And it has now come up to us, um, our generation and somewhat of the previous generation, because whether Manto was writing at that time, um, there were some writers at that time, but it came up to Bisham Sani to start writing about partition. And now when we are looking at that generation which went through partition actually, has crossed 70 years of age, 80 years of age, and they are disappearing by natural causes. They're going away. We are trying to create the partition archive. This is lived experience of the people. But in Punjab, what happens through partition is that for a generation or two, everybody goes silent. Mitty power. They don't want to talk. Our trauma was so high. And also, just right with that trauma was the fact that while the Muslims brought a state of their own, a country, um, Hindustan was created, but the Sikh quest, and this quest is not just that happens at the time when Mountbatten asked Baldev Singh whether you want to seek region or not. It has been going on for a couple of decades. It is from Asatara Singh's time, this quest for a Sikh homeland has been coming up, but Sikhs were just minority in every single district. So they could never really come up with a concrete plan. And by the time Azad Punjab came up, the idea came up, the Chris Commission came, by that time, the war was on, and there was a war effort again, the Second World War. So the notion of the Sikhs about the land of their own was lost. That notion was lost. The nation doesn't acknowledge the grief, and it keeps pushing on with this nationalism, which has now in these days become a totally militant Hindutva nationalism. The community feels bereft. See, what one is lost that happens to each of us. The second is when that loss is not acknowledged by the larger world. Then we feel we don't have a story to tell. How do we talk about ourselves? That is the grief at the bottom of this loss. Post-1984, until actually Godra happens in 2002, and then people see the similarities, for 22 years, people were not even talking, 18 years, people were not even talking about and what really happened in 1984. And that leads to a great sense of um, crumbling for the community, actually. And yet uh, there's a parallel pain in the community, which comes right from Guru's time, the, the idea of Charbi Kala, the idea of we are not victims, 
we are going to bring justice to the world. That idea gets really questioned in the community. What to me is great about the attack on Harmandar Sahib is that the nation actually broke the social contract between the citizen and the state. A social contract is what comes from the French Revolution. It is Rousseau's idea. But at the core of it lies that there is always an exchange between the citizen and the state. The state guarantees certain freedom, and the citizen says, okay, if you guarantee us these freedoms, we will belong to you as a state, and then we will pay our taxes, we will do the duties, and all that. But religion and faith are also articles of which the state guarantees for the people, especially for the minority communities. And when the Harmandir Sahib attack happens in 1984, it is that sense of faith in the national structure which gets ruptured. Of course, people have to go on, the nation is here, the political process is there, all that is there. People keep hurtling from one situation to another, but the loss remains in them. And this is what I encountered in the last five years when I was traveling in Punjab. What I sensed was that Punjab has become a landmine of narrative. Everybody says, I am the truth, I know it. But that person could be what you might call a Hindu person, you might call from the left organization, you might be an ordinary Sikh, he might be what is called the radical Sikh, you know, but each one has a view on this is exactly the truth. And a researcher like me who goes looking at what happened here, who was hurt, what went on, we never get a sense of what to believe and what not to believe, whom to trust. And then we start asking ourselves, how do we know what we know? Do we know it from what the, the narrative I'm getting from the person opposite me? Or do I know it from some sort of intuition which inside me? And that is why I feel Punjab has been churning. Its people have finally now gone to a level where they feel victimized. And very frankly, um, I've heard from many people that we are just a food-producing colony of the country. So, uh, I I, yes, let me actually build up on that. You know, you invoke this idea of social contract between citizenry and a state. You also invoke the collective memory of uh, the ruler, uh, a Punjab ruler of Ranjit Singh and a Sikh of a Sikh descent, actually an initiated Sikh descent on top of it. So this is why these things come in together and now being reduced to a colony, a food colony. And by the way, I've heard this term as well in the last 15 years, many times actually. Uh, now I'm gonna, Trividesh, apologize. I'm gonna ask the second follow-up question to Amandeep here and then I'll come back to you. Sure. Connect to that. So Amandeep, what I would like to say is, ask you is this, that now we are 73 years into this recolonization after the British, if I may call it that. Yeah. So after the British left, 73 years have gone, 84 was around the median period of the 73 years. And post 84, there has been again uh, from a large section of Punjab, even the ones who were sovereigntist, uh, they also were aspirational in uh, participating in electoral politics by supporting particular party, and which is what I was exploring with Ridvesh Singh in the larger Indian context. What I would like to ask you is this, that a hyper-nationalism is back globally. 
it is completely visible uh, when we are in the, in a topatexing spirit we are still in the no man's land between the barbed wires of hindustan and pakistan and hindustan is going through ultra nationalism pakistani nationalism is ultra as well within there you have accentuations of sikh nationalism in the form of khalistan coming in and the punjab part is completely lost in your opinion can i mean i i know aspirationally and ideally we can revive the punjabiyat but how do we revive punjabiyat what is your recommendation to revive this punjabiyat which is uh, intricately connected with sikh psyche as well see i i mentioned that we have brought forth from the guru's time the idea of chardi kala and uh, that is a strong strain in the community it is also true that punjab's imprint in the world is much larger than its small little footprint in the world you know uh, we do manage to influence many many societies uh, in various ways in terms of bollywood in terms of cuisine in terms of clothing in all those ways but to be nationalism when we use that word or more likely the word punjabiyat it is also linked with the punjabi language and i feel that if we have to find our identity now we have to focus on the language and the language we can focus on i know there are many struggles around language going on but i feel language is intricately linked to markets and if we realize punjabi is the 10th or 11th most spoken language in the world and this is a language which 130 million people speak now i was looking at statistics yesterday and i saw that we are exactly the same number of people as the french language speakers are in the world and you see where french is and you see where punjabi is french is spoken in 35 different countries as the first language now that comes from french imperialism punjab never in, never conquered territories the way imperialism spread the way colonialism spread but the fact is that there are at least three punjabs today there is a punjab in india there is a punjab in pakistan and there is a punjab in the diaspora whenever i have traveled abroad when i meet fellow pakistanis there and we start speaking in punjabi there has never been a discrimination between us over where we come from i think that sense of owning up the language through creating a market this big of 130 million people should be our first step towards that linked to market then is the fact that i believe that the punjabi community especially the sikh community needs to create its own banks financial banks because we can't keep looking at the government for everything i'll give you a small example they recently in india on two years back brought in the goods and service tax in which they made it a national taxation policy the fact is that just a few weeks back the finance ministry said that we are unable to reimburse the money to the state and punjab has been like what do we do then already we were the granary of the country we still produce the highest wheat and rice in the country we have fed the country for the last 6 decades 
And we know what has happened to our agrarian sector through that. We cannot expect to find financial solutions from the government. We have to create our own banks to be able to solve our financial situations. If our financial situations are solved, if we can create common markets, that is one way, because I believe that any citizen in the world of any country, any language, any community should be able to live in the language of their birth. And when Punjabi are 130 million people in the world, why shouldn't we be able to live in our language? So my real solution in terms of finances is that we should create a market, we should create a bank, and we should be able to solve our woes together through this. The second is that I believe that to look at Indian Punjab, I don't know how we can do that. I know various governments have made promises, but we need to look at it in terms of a post-post-post-conflict land. Post-conflict of 1849, post-conflict of 1947, post-conflict of 1984, and the many other smaller battles that happened in Punjab, including the Great Green Revolution, which has now devastated the farmers of Punjab. And Punjab is majoritarily an agrarian state. So we have to, I'm not saying we go to the South African model. I don't say we go to any other model of how truth and justice has been achieved in these regions. But we have to come up with our own way in which the Punjabi people can see justice happening. There are thousands and thousands of human rights cases. But there is no justice coming from it. One minister is caught, he's put in jail. A couple of hundred cases are solved. They're presented in the parliament as if we have solved 1984. But no, the break is too big. The divide is too big. The chasm is too big in our hearts. If it is not filled, we are going to be, as we are now, we are going to be disquiet, discontent, unhappy, and in trauma. So we have to push for both, identity-wise, language-wise, markets and banks, and justice-wise, society-wise, a framework of looking at Punjab, not for electoral wins, but for post-conflict resolution of the crisis of Punjab. Thank you, Amandeep. Uh, so I will come back to you on this last point, but you were discussing and you were pointing to this idea of language as a uniter for not just the East and the West Punjab, as we call them now, Chardha but the third Punjab, which is the diaspora. And you know, three of us are on this call. I think our connection to Punjab partly is through language, but partly we are third Punjabis, partly we are globalists, partly we are not even living Three of us are speaking from outside of Punjab currently. So I think this third Punjab and 130 million Punjabis, which includes the largest number from the Pakistani side of Punjab, is something to be reimagined again. Uh, and I, this as a context, I actually want to bring it to Trividesh on this point. But before I do and bring in this diaspora connection to it because of the third Punjab, I think it's a it's, it's a probably a great reminder for all of us that Punjab has never received a Punjabi has never received a patronage of any state, including Maharaja Ranjit Singh. Although Gurmukhi Kaidas and Punjabi were taught, the state language is still Parsi or Persian. It was actually Guru Nanak, and there are genius of the gurus through Guru Arjan Sahib and Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj, and creating this what we now call Guru Granth Sahib 
or I like to call it, it's actually more than a scripture. It's a linguistic uh, knowledge, a cultural knowledge, and it's a charter, it's a manifesto. It actually carries Punjabis with it. Otherwise, Punjabi would have been lost. Who knows where it would have been because none of the state has ever patronized it. So, Trivedesh, there is a third Punjab. And right. there is a tension between Indian Sikhs, largely speaking, and diaspora Sikhs, somewhat speaking. Again, just like there is no monolith of Sikhs in India or Punjab, there actually is no monolith of Sikhs in diaspora either. You know, there are voices which speak about human rights more. There are voices which speak about investment in Punjab and more. There are voices which also speak about because of 47, because of 84, what Amandi was just mentioning about the idea of Raj, which goes back to Guru Nanak's time and since 80s or 40s has been using the term Khalistan. So that we know exists. And we must acknowledge that there are strains of Sikhs and the strains of Punjabis, depending on what their experience, lived experiences, or depending on what their ideological frameworks are in multi-party systems, they support one or the other thing. My question to you is, there is this gap. But in this gap, what has come out is, you know, I said that new untouchables have been created. No, uh, we are, you know, not, we are not just casteists now. We have also become, depending on which circle you are sitting in, you know, being a Khalistani could be a cuss word or a great uh, uh, command. Uh, whereas being an Indian nationalist could be a cuss word or a, a great tribute. So this list, litmus test has created a lot of tension, which is actually not healthy and it is not even producing any dialogue. How do you feel, somebody who looks into a diaspora and where Punjabi is, by the way, spoken as third or fourth language in UK and Canada, and it's through right. language, through connections to Punjab, whether it's financial, whether it's through biology or family, whether it is through emotions, of what we collective Punjab was or the Indian side of Punjab is, how do you think this gap can be minimized to go beyond the labels in order to create some understanding between why certain strands do what they do? So uh, the first thing is, the first problem which I find in the relationship between uh, the sort of Indian Sikhs in India and Sikhs overseas is that there is not that much of interaction. So maybe, you know, somebody in the last 10, 15 years, we've obviously the migration has increased even more. That is a time there's a lot of interaction. So I think the first step could be that, like, you know, uh, there are camps and there are other ways sick youth in America interact. Maybe interactions between the sick youth overseas and six in India, sick youngsters in India, so that at that stage itself, these uh, misconceptions can be reduced. The second thing is that, you know, the onus lies on both sides. The stereotyping which happens in India that, you know, every Sikh, first of all, I mean, everybody can have the political views. You don't have to agree with it. But to treat any ideology, as as you were saying, you know, this thing about so Khalistani being a cuss word. I think ideological engagement, you have to do with everyone. Nobody can be untouchable. So at this point of time, what is happening is you have, what I find is that in the diaspora, for instance, the Sikhs in America, they make their own compromises. They do they do join the Republicans, even though the Republicans may not be very uh, pro-immigrant or there will be certain things which clash with the Sikh interests. If a Sikh in India makes the same compromise, which he thinks is right for him, it's dubbed as being a sellout. 
So I think the community as a whole, not just in India or overseas, we need to, you know, there are two things. One, we need to distinguish between uh, negotiation and compromise. And secondly, we need, there's a very thin line between pragmatism and opportunism. So we have very good to justify it, you know, in our own context, but we need to be more accommodating. So if a Sikh in Punjab at a particular point of time is choosing Congress, he's making, I mean, he, he's making similar choices, somebody in the, in the US, you know, suppose he prefers a Republican. So you have to look at it in that. It's not only diaspora or India. So that's what the first thing is. The second thing is we have failed to identify tangible areas where you can cooperate. So as Amandeep Ji was very rightly pointing out about 1984, till date, why is it that we we are a very prosperous community and naturally the onus is on the government governments in India, state governments and everything to uh, provide compensation on. But the Sikh way is actually finding a solution yourself. If we had worked collectively, we could have easily provided justice to the victims, not just of, the, of 1984. What about the, the innocents uh, killed in uh, the attack on the Harmandir Sahib. Even that we have not identi- been able to identify. The Jodhpur detainees, I recently was doing some work. No Sikh organization is really taking care of the Jodhpur detainees. So there were some clear tangibles over the last 36 years. And these are issues which we fight over. Even on that, we have not been able to work together. I mean, 84 should have been, should be a binding factor rather than a reason for clashing. But even that has become a, a you know sort of bone of contention indirectly. So... The only way to resolve that is that you have to, uh, at the, at, you know, at a particular age group, maybe from 18 to 20, when you're young, if you start in- engaging in a structured manner, I think that will help a lot. At this point of time, it's not happening. Some odd person, you know, they'll meet their own families over here, but they'll go back to the same stereotypes. But you've got to see that there are people, there are people with uh, this whatever way, you know, whatever you want to dub it as, with a very sort of panthic thought, even in India, who, who have sick interests in their heart. And, and finally, I would just like to conclude this that you have to find a space between India, I mean, every between Indian nationalism and Khalistan. There is a panthic space between that as well, which can represent the Sikh aspirations. Yeah, thank, thank you for alluding to this, because you know what we are seeing is that. This space, which I have personally tried to create in my circles, I have participated in some of this when I go to you, whether it is within Punjab, outside of India, in, uh, outside of Punjab in India, in Canada, UK, other places, but you are absolutely right. I just want to say that when you're using Republican example, I fully get it, but not every Sikh still supports Republican. But what you are getting at is we must understand that there is nuancing of these currently. Uh, there is a UK MP in the middle of this, you know, Preet Corgill. You know, she congratulated Indians on uh, on their Independence Day, and she equally holds UK and the Indian governments accountable for the human rights violations. So we must understand the spaces and the representatives what they are doing, and we must uh, be able to carve out understandings of each position without creating labels for them because they are governing for their audience as well. They're governing for their constituencies as well. They're governing for the protection of their existence, their very lives in many cases, like what we're dealing with in Afghanistan's case. I know Manvinder has come in, but because of some of the delays, Manvinder, I'm gonna do, uh, I wanted to ask one more questions to each, but uh, it sounds like there is audience question. So why don't we take one of those? Then I'll come back, to, uh, go back to Amandeep and to Devesh. Definitely. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for this conversation. I would encourage everyone to send in their questions now. Um, We will get to them. If not here, then I'm happy to take them um, 
away from that, this session particularly. Um, a question that's kind of been being chatted about and negotiated with in the chat uh, is on Punjabiyat. Um, so her thing, I'm going to delegate this question to yourself um, and I would love to hear Pradivish Singh's opinion on this as well. Um, but it is a definition of this term that we've been using, Punjabiyat. Um, what should we be understanding it as? And it was nuanced by others. Uh, and that question was from Jigsant Singh in Waterloo, Ontario. But Sanjeet Singh also wanted to ask, um, Punjabiyat maybe is a characteristic trait for Sikhs, but do the panelists believe the same is true for the Hindus living in India or Muslims living in Pakistan? Uh, so this collectivity and then what incentive do Hindus and Muslims would they have living in a unified Punjab if we presume um, that we have a common Punjabi heritage? Yeah, I can actually give you a couple of angles to think about it. And this is part of the conversation that we need to reimagine the Punjabi because we have been marred by the trauma of 47 and not just the trauma, the savagery by the Hindus, by the Muslims, by the Sikhs and others uh, in the way we dealt with each other. You know, there is a old Punjabi folk song, which I'm remembering where the line says, He says, if whatever was left after what the British did and after what the, uh, the Indian and the Pakistani rulers decided, we went crazy and we looted each other. So uh, we have to reimagine Punjabiyat. Punjabiyat, one connection is the land. The, the very definition comes from the land. This is a region, the undivided Punjab, as we have to call it now, which has been divided, which has its own challenges. And I'll come to that in a second. But the first is the land, people who live in this region. Uh, second is the language, which Amandeep talked about. And language, which I was trying to say how it has been carried by all communities of Punjab. Yes, in the Indian side of Punjab, we have had struggles during the Punjabi Suba movement where a large section of Hindi community did not, Hindu community did not identify with it. But I want you guys to know that there is a movement happening on the Pakistan side of Punjab. Every year when I go there, I try to have these conversations where they can't find, you know, the state does not support Punjabi. Now there is a conversation about carving out a South Punjab, sort of like what happened in Haryana and Himachal in 66. So, those are happening because of the Indian nationalism or uh, Pakistani nationalism, largely identified as Hindus and the Muslims. So Sikhs have a role to play and the Muslims and the Hindus of the Punjab have a role to play to re-identify with the language, which is not inclusive to Sikhs. And third and the last thing really is this, um, what, what I'm going to call it, the, the contribution of the Punjab civilization. You see, when our focus becomes only on the negativity, you stop identifying with the space. If 130 million Punjabis do not identify with Punjab, where it matters, when somebody asks them, who are they? Are they able to say beyond their you know, 20th century nationalistic identities, uh, can we say we are Punjabis? Can I say I'm a Punjabi Sikh? I'm of Punjabi descent. When we do not identify with Punjab, we are actually getting rid of what used to be the cultural civilization. You know, we have forgotten what Punjab was. You know, the Buddhist element of Punjab, the Vedic element of Punjab, the Sikh contributions in Punjab, the Islamic Sufi school, uh, which converged with the Sikh, as Professor Poonan Singh called it, there was a unique Sufi school developed in Punjab. 
So the literary contribution, not just the geographical and the food ones we've been talking about, but the cultural contributions, we must remind ourselves that this was a beautiful place. This was what the world now calls open, plural, progressive society. We were ahead of the curve. The world culture used to talk about us. People used to come to Takshla to study, which was a university now on the Pakistan side. So if we do not identify the larger cultural heritage, we must create some systems to go uh, and understand uh, how we can identify with it. Those are my three quick elements uh, which I'm offering. I think this will be a good question for all of us. Tridesh, what do you think? So I think uh, as far as Punjabiyat is concerned, in the last two decades, the academics overseas, whether it's in Europe or whether it's in the US or whether it's in UK, they have played a stellar role in trying to, at least they, they have done their bit because they you know, didn't face the problems which Indian you know, Punjabis from India and Pakistan face in terms of visas and all. So there have been joint collaborations. They've worked together, done work on partition and all. There are a couple of things here. The first is, it's a great idea. But unless we negotiate some of the uh, elements, you know, which are uh, still contentious, it is not going to be sustainable. So what you're going to happen at this point of time, there are three issues which come in the way of Punjabi. One is obviously, whether we like it or not, the violence of 1947, for which as Amandeep Ji very rightly said, there has been no proper reconciliation on both sides. You have a museum in Amritsar, but you need to go far ahead because still, that is rankling in people's minds. And it has, and to think that, you know, that generation has gone by and you know, the next generation is not, I think that is a bit utopian. The second is how do you negotiate the nation state? The fact of the matter is, uh, I can say that, you know, when you talk about Punjabi, maybe the Indian Punjabi uh, has not, an, it's arguable, but in, if you look at Pakistani Punjab, if we think that, you know, Punjab, comes before Pakistan for him, that's not the case. So even in Pakistan, nationalism has overtaken Punjabiyat. So these two issues need to be negotiated back home. But I think at this point of time, when you know there are tensions between India and Pakistan, there are other issues also, and there's a lack of mobility, I think technology can be used and there should be the first step, a more constructive dialogue can actually be begun even from overseas between you know Punjabi scholars from both sides. I mean, that is something sustainable. Thank you. Amandeep, uh, what's your take on Punjabiyat? I have a slightly uh, different take because uh, I think the Punjabiyat is, I, I, I'm not trying to collapse the two uh, ideas, but uh, because Punjabiyat is an idea in, in the true sense, but the Indus Valley civilization was a reality on ground. Mm -hmm. And it, it was there for a long, long time. And uh, we don't even know how it disappeared. You know, uh, I think this region of the Indus Valley is, a, is neither the Indian subcontinent nor is it Europe. Uh, most Western rationality, uh, to make very brief, is it is defined by binaries me and the other. And Indian subcontinent, because of how the Vedas spread and how the religions grew, is based on Manusimriti. Punjab is not based on either a binary or on the caste system. What is Punjab? What is Punjabiyat? How to recover it? 
is actually the work of a lot of us people who have to get together and start defining it. Because we don't, to me, Punjab is eclectic. Punjab is easygoing. Punjab is slow. Hmm. Punjab actually is an ocean in my mind. I really went into writing this book. I thought one year I'll travel and finish. It took me five years. It draws you in. It is so beautiful on the ground. It is a landmine of... Amandeep Ji, Jedi Tussi just said, if I may build on it a little bit, and you were traveling only on the one-fifth of the original undivided Punjab. Imagine right. the even from linguistic angle, which you invoked earlier, there were 16 dialects. We can maybe see three or four dialects now. So linguistically and culturally, and what you're invoking, I'm remembering now when Guru Nanak Sahib writes in Barama of Tukhari, you know, the Rag Tukhari, he is actually de describing the terrain of Punjab as he saw it. And very interestingly, nowhere the word Punjab comes in Guru Granth Sahib, the idea of Punjabi-ness can be seen. What I'm going to call punjabi in English is Punjabi-ness. Uh, uh, you know, jokingly, people uh, in the popular culture right now, people think being Punjabi is doing pangana and eating tadoori chicken. You know, that's where the popular culture has brought it to. But actually, Punjab is what you're saying. Professor Puran Singh says, Des Punjab Mera, when he talks about the love for the Punjab, he actually globalizes it. He says, I saw the West. I saw the best of the East in Japan. I saw the Walt Whitman of America, what he's writing about critiquing the New York of 150 years ago even. But he says, why did I come back to Punjab? Again, I know partly it is poetry and partly it's emotional, but the man was a scientist as well. He says, I come back here because and he says the rivers of Punjab, the mountains of Punjab, they are singing Jabji. And by the way, I have seen this, you know, until the 1970s, uh, until the Jansangis and the Mahasabhas of Punjab became quote unquote against six. I mean, their wives also did Sapmani Saab's part. And I go on the other side of the border in Lahore and last few years, twice I've attended Friday Sangats where the leftist Sufi are reading Pai Gurdas. So Punjab was something like that. They did not have hardened boundaries as the nationalism of the West brought in. And it is different from other systems. In this context, Amandeep, I want to ask you something which you alluded to towards the end of your last uh, statements, which was about the justice and reconciliation. You know, uh, even the former ambassador of India, KC Singh, wrote an editorial in English Tribune. And since then, they have not published any of his articles. That was a few months ago where he raised this very question that how come India and its ministry is always blaming the diaspora and the ones who are pursuing the Khalistan, how, what have they done for reconciliation? So this reconciliation, one thing comes from a state angle, another thing comes from the people angle. So people of Punjab, including the former ministers who have served as judges, sorry, not ministers, the judges, they set up People's Commission. There was CCDP set up, Coordination Committee for the Disappearance in Punjab, when the hotels would not give them a place to hold an open tribunal, I'll call it, then the Gurdwara did it. I was there in those days and I saw the reports and how the Hindus like, and the Sikhs and the people who are formerly, who had served in the Indian courts tried to do this. So the world model is 
you do tribunals, you know peace commissions, you create reconciliation commissions, but nothing has been done from the state to create this reconciliation. Six and people of Punjab did make certain efforts in this reality. What do you propose needs to be done to create reconciliation with what has happened at least within the Sikh community and because largely the Sikh community was the target, but more widely between the Punjab community. Yeah, so uh, as I was saying about the Indus Valley civilization, and I'm so glad you brought up the justice question again, I think the task on us Punjabis is a lot. We have a lot of tasks in front of us. One is to recover the idea of Punjabiyat in civilizational terms. I mean, a Pakistani writer and lawyer and politician wrote a book called The Indus Saga, Aitraz Asan. You know, but we need to see that kind of working happening in Punjab, India, Punjab as well. Hmm. And at the same time, we have to come up with our own unique way of truth and reconciliation in the people of Punjab. It can, we cannot, I personally feel we can no longer trust the two political parties. And there is a third one which keeps trying to make inways into Punjab, inroads into Punjab. I don't think we can trust it to the politicians to do that. We have to create baithaks. We have to create sats in the villages. We have to create sessions where we are able to bring acknowledgement to each other about what has happened. You know, right today when I was disconnected, I suddenly saw another message on WhatsApp. There is a small little group in Punjab which is trying to do ardas on 15th August 19th, uh, today. You know, and it is in memory of 1947. And they are saying can we get together? These are the people's movements that are happening. And similarly, there are many, many such people's movements can be started in Punjab to bring about reconciliation. And then we don't need the government because it is anyway not going to do it for us. And this is where I want to see the Punjabi entrepreneurship, you call it, or activism, you call it. But I really feel we, we have to do it with people, with each other. And we have to hold together. Just, uh, it, it is very true that uh, most of our conversations, as you said, litmus test, as I said, um, the landmine of narratives, it becomes very antagonistic towards each other. But where have we forgotten accommodation? Where have we forgotten respecting each other's point of view? Where have we forgotten to agree to disagree with each other? I think just going back, and the Gurbani has all this in it. We just need to flower this in our own selves. And we can come to that. I really remain very hopeful because Punjab manages to surprise you every time. And I'm hopeful that now that we have been pushed to a corner by a majoritarian Hindu nation, I hope we are able to come together and hold forth. Because if we don't do it now, in the next 25 years, Punjab will flourish. Punjab will flourish all around the world, but it will become like Buddhism. You know, it will have lost its roots in the land it came from. And that would be very sad. So, Amandeep, uh, I hear you and I, I want to, I am on that actually journey as well. But, you know, I am using the word but here intentionally. But people of Punjab have been trying to do this. I, when I say people, that's why I listed the efforts which were done extra state, and they included the Hindus of Punjab on the Indian side. Uh, 
on the reconciliation elements of 84 onwards. This is where I think uh, more imagining is needed, I agree, but there have been documentation projects. There have been conversations where even uh, when the certain militants did certain things, they have had tried to have conversations with, for example, you know, with Lalit Makan's daughter, there has been, so individual efforts have been there. Individual efforts to document, individual effort to hold their own accountabilities, their own uh, coordinations to get these things done. But at what level do we need to take this to remain something to be seen? And you invoke Gurbani, so let me bring in even today's hukum. You know, and I, I, I agree with this. And the hukum today from Sri Harmandar Sahib actually is by Pagat Ji. And Pagat Ji actually says there, in, a con in his conversation with the divine, with the Ekoankar, where he says, darshan dekhe. It's been a while since we connected. Darshan, as you know, is not physically seeing someone, although that's the popular meaning now. It's the philosophy, it's the mental connection. And I think it's been a while since we have mentally connected. And in that aspiration of mental connection, there needs to be, there is quietness. And we need to break that conspiracy of silence, as we call it, and Patwan Singh used to call it as well, so that Patwan Singh that is. And that's what the Shabad even today said. It says, Karan Kavan Abol. Why are you so silent? I think so one of the things we will need to figure out is how to culturally break this silence. When I say in a civil manner is what I mean, you know, without being yeah. even discussing making people untouchable or calling them cuss words or dropping the F-bombs or whatever else we do in a sense of hatredness. But that said, I think there have been attempts and we need to make better attempts, even more concerted events, and we need to carry more people with us. And in that context, Radesh, I want to come to you because- uh, can, I, can I interrupt, please? Sure, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to add to that. I'm so glad you raised this because that is my second or third, actually, uh, uh, submission to Punjab and Punjab people. Uh, it is that I think what we are really talking about here is narrative. What we are talking about here is how the mainstream media narrative manages to silence us. And we are not able to speak to each other. Now, there is a great example in recent years of one little small country. Of course, it was oil money, but I'm sure there is no dearth of money in Punjabis if they want to put it together. Uh, Qatar, a country with 27 lakh people. And uh, only 20% people in Qatar are actually from Qatar. 80% are diaspora from other countries like India also. They started a small channel called Al Jazeera. And within a few years, Al Jazeera could give competition to BBC and to Voice of America. Why can't the Punjabi community create a news channel of its own? I see a lot of YouTube news channels today. I see a couple of newspapers as well. But none of them, all I ask them to do is come together and make one channel and structure your, your dialogue and how you want to open it and how you want to talk about it, how you want to bring up your issues. And you can actually, using media, creating a media house of your own, you can actually tackle this problem of non-representation 
of the ground realities of Punjab in the discourses that go about Punjab. You know, sitting outside Punjab, and I can very easily empathize with people uh, in the diaspora, uh, I know that when the first incidents of sacrilege happened in 2015, and after that, more than 200 incidents of sacrilege have happened, you know, I know how the community was fuming all over the world. But when I went into Punjab to look at it, I was actually in Kotkpura on that day. You know, I saw what are people doing here? And there was a vast difference between how the narrative was building up and how what was going on on the ground. And I think this ground reality of Punjab needs to be projected outward so that we don't make our own um, ideas about what is going on, but we amplify our voice and we set our narrative on our terms. No war can be fought on the enemy's turf. You have to determine your battlefield for it. And today the battlefield is in the media. And that is where we need to go ahead as a media house, bringing in representation of all voices, but also placing our main voice there. That is what I think we should do. So yeah, I mean, again, there is back to markets, banks, and media. No, great, great. Uh, I, I, we, I think there are many Punjabis and many Sikhs who aspire that. I've personally been uh, con uh, part of many conversations about setting up independent media, but I've been part of two very detailed, more than two-year-long conversations, and they still didn't see the light of the day. I, I see there is some work cut out there from financing and, more importantly, to serious articulation of the editorial policies and how to actually make it happen. But uh, Amandeep, absolutely, this is a great point. And that's one of the, the battle of narratives has always been there. You know, today when Sikhs are talking about what Guru Gobind Singh said, they are countering the narrative of Aurangzeb at the time or the Hindu Hill Rajas of the time. So the question, even in the absence of media is the community, the Sikh community specifically here, how they voice their narrative is, is very, very important. Trividesh, in this, Imagining the Punjabiyat and imagining what is possible through media, uh, you your world operates on uh, not just imagination, but the intersection of the reality today. It's sort of like what we try to do at Sikh Research Institute. You know, we're trying to create a bridge between the community and the academia, you know, where sometimes you have to do what is needed on the ground versus what ifs. But you are in the what ifs world and you are also in the pragmatist world of what is ahead of us. Currently, within last couple of years, actually within last year, you have had and you've written about this, you've been observing about this, the idea of Kartarpur Corridor has been in the world news for the first time in a positive light, let's call it, that we can be the harbinger of the peace in the area which is surrounded by India, Pakistan, and China. Imagine that, and Afghanistan. So the geopolitical realities of South Asia in conjunction with probably from most accounts, the next global superpower of China. This is where we sit. And six do not have their state of their own. Six do not have seat on the states or the provinces where they might have some electoral representatives. Six have not thought about how to create their voice either through media or through narrative. How else what do six do currently? You have talked about soft power. What soft power can six develop now 
for next five months of 2020 in the realities of what we just talked about? So before I respond to your question, I just have a couple of points because these are important. I forgot to add them earlier. I mean, I think the first thing is that in a post-COVID world, you are going to see, you know, that the relationship between the, the diaspora and Sikhs back home is emotional, but there is a transaction part to it as well. You know, remittances do give a leverage to the diaspora. Now, in the last few years, interestingly, you had more outward remittances. So maybe you will have a more, hopefully we'll have a more balanced narrative where the diaspora gives its, is a stakeholder, but people who are over here who know the ground realities are also part of the narrative. So they don't feel that, you know, there's a patronizing sort of narrative. So that's the first thing which is going to change. Second thing, you know, uh, there are, I think there's also fourth Punjab, which is six outside Punjab in India as well. And we often forget their role. So when we talk about soft, you know, when you talk about the diaspora, we also forget that during COVID-19, a lot of six outside Punjab in India, the seva which they have done, has got recognized. And in a number of states are trying to build up their identity. And in the past, they have had representation also. In, you know, you have a few odd represent like in states like West Bengal. So that angle is very important, the fourth, fourth Punjab. Now, as for the, the uh, Sikhs, the diaspora and the media part, I would, I'm a bit more optimistic for the simple reason that, you know, now I'm not talking as a policymaker, but as a Sikh, I have, if you look at some of the programs which are, you know, if you look at, for instance, the Kal channel, you know, some of the media channels, which may not be particularly popular in India for certain reasons, but, you know, that in terms of oral history, not just of 1947, but even of 1984, the sort of facts which they have been able to bring out are, I mean, amazing. Some And the, the people who they have interviewed, you know, we were talking about um, some voices of 1984, which have not been heard. So many, so many individuals, which, you know, we would have not had access to, a Carl channel has managed that. So I think it is a step-by-step -step process. And if Punjab is an ocean, things will also happen organically. So you have a few good Punjabi channels. The next logical step will be having, uh, you know, an English channel as well, which becomes global. But this stage is also important so that six within, you know, whether it's in India, whether it's outside, they get exposure to certain aspects of history, which have been, you know, rather skewed. So uh, the, the Punjabi media part, which whether the ownership is overseas or whether the, the, they really deserve a lot of credit, some of the Punjabi media channels. That's what I wanted to bring in. And finally, now coming to the main, I mean, the issue of the Kartarpur corridor, that's a perfect example. I mean, obviously, uh, there is high politics to it, but the, the group which started it or the individual who started it, uh, uh, Jathedar Kuldeep Singh Vidala, he had been working for it for over 50, 15, 20, 20 years. They used to do an Ardas every year and go to that place. And one fine day, it happened for a particular reason. So I think in South Asia, generally, a lot of things happen organically. You know, you have utopia behind it, but there's one X factor, one event, and suddenly something works out. So we have to, I think, look at those aspects. Sure. And on the media and the utopia part, I think one of the things I like to remind everyone is this Punjab as a utopia actually is a little bit different from the guru period onwards. And let me speak to it a bit. Uh, what, what I'm trying to say is there was a vision Guru Nanak gave of what a Kartarpur is, but then he made it a reality. There was a vision Pagat Namdev also gave of what a Begampura is. But that did not become a reality, but six made it a reality, including for the Mool Nivasis as equal partners in the Sikh movement. So one of the things which has been lacking is the dreaming itself now, because we don't dream about 
वी आर नॉट गोइंग टू टूडे मेक वट जस्सा सिंह आलूवालिया डेड और वार महाराजा रंजीत सिंह डेड दे वर पावर द रियलिटीज ऑफ द टाइम I think this dreaming, which needs to happen, then knowing the reality, what is the next Punjab? What is the next Sikh role in the next Punjab? What is the next Sikh role globally? But we are discussing Sikhs in Punjab. That imagination, build on the vision of Ekko Angar, on the vision of Nam culture, as Puran Singh also used to call it. I think that envisioning is a must, which is what we've been referring to. And within, while we are envisioning, including in media, you, sure. There are many things. There are many channels. Even Sikh Siyasat needs to be uh, saluted for bringing out certain stories which otherwise would have never come out. But I think what Aman Deep was referring to, and others, and I believe in, and because I've seen it for last 15 years, those efforts will always be there. They are products of the environments because of resources, because of spirit, because of no other option. But then there is an option you create in the world, which has. multiplicities of ideas in it this is what i was referring to editorial policies which are representatives which do not have to be fully representatives but it's clearly articulated that what they are after and there's a thick skin just like al jazeera wasn't even allowed in america for a couple of years you know so you deal with those realities but you know what you are pursuing uh, but your the idea of soft power i wanted to get a little bit more out of you there So you know there are MPs sitting in US now. Sorry, not in US yet. In UK and Canada, as well as New Zealand, and opposition leaders in many countries, including Malaysia. You know, which we forget about the original diaspora of Southeast Asia as well as Kenya. So as people are also becoming part of electoral politics, one of the things I have been saying to the counterparts in UK, as well, sorry, uh, the politicians in UK. Uh, New Zealand as well as in Canada when they meet their indian counterparts when they meet their punjabi counterparts they need to bring one or two issues to the table which they don't seem to be doing right now and those issues need to be where everyone agrees on whether it is the river waters issues or human rights issues so at least the collaboration and the conversation can happen on things which otherwise every punjabi or every sikh house is affected by it. you know right education is part of that economy is part of it we heard about market today part of it uh, the language being part of it and that's another way to bring the soft power out i wanted to uh, take a pause here and uh, call on manvinder if there are questions let's take those from the audience before we head towards conclusion definitely thank you thank you so much there are many questions from the audience I'm happy to relegate the first one to Amandeep Singh. Um, Ashveer Pal uh, asks, "I'd like to hear about the ways in which different caste communities in the diaspora define the different narratives of what is urgent for the Sikhs and the Punjab." It's from my own experience where I came across many Sikhs in the USA who I grew up with who parrot agricultural lives as the epitome of Sikh life. whereas their families are traders or artisans who have no roots to farming so i think yes this could um refer to the diaspora and the homeland uh so i'm in the same please yeah you could address that question uh no i think uh, harinder paji mentioned earlier that sikhs are not a monolith and uh, the jats are actually 28% of the community in punjab and yet most of the power is with the jat community political power and uh, because of land also muscle power 
you know, and uh, that's why most of the narratives of the Sikhs that is set is mostly set by the Jat. And uh, uh, I'm not saying I was blind to caste, but I wasn't aware of caste in the way I became aware once I was writing this book, researching for it. And yet there is some distinction to be made here. Uh, the, there is no real way of saying how worse is caste in Punjab, you know, uh, and how is it compared to the rest of the country? The person who is disenfranchised, the person who is poor, the person who does not have money, uh, they feel their, the horror of their lives very acutely. So I don't think we should compare with uh, how untouchability or how casteism is prevalent in the rest of the subcontinent. But as Sikhs, I think we really need to acknowledge the reality of caste and we really need to work towards being able to soften the hard lines that have got drawn. And that is, again, another big task that we have as a community in front of us because we can't deny it. We have to acknowledge it. And then we have to move forward to solve it because uh, Bonnie tells us that we are equal. And how can then there be caste? It is an oxymoron next to each other. So that's what I think we should do. Thank you. Um, I'll ask two more questions. Um, the next one is uh, to Vish Singh. So there's a couple questions around uh, this one similar idea. So uh, one of them is, what is the status of a global Sikh economy slash cyber currency? And to play off of that, um, Japnam asks, uh, business and startup culture in Punjab is very much neglected, especially among the Sikhs in Punjab. Uh, it has a significant effect on global outreach, soft power, as we've been discussing, uh, and politics. What must be the resolutions and roadmap for entrepreneurship in Punjab, which can be fruitful to Punjab, Punjabi, Punjabiyat? So I'll take the second question first, as far as business and startups are concerned. I think this is where, uh, you know, the... Uh, people in important positions. So for instance, whether it's members of parliament in India uh, or members of parliament in Western countries, I think when you talk if you're, for two and a half, two decades, when it's been seeing this conversation that MPs overseas can play a part in foreign investment coming into Punjab and whatever, I think this needs to be given more shape. I mean, so the policymakers have a dialogue over more structured things like investment. And at this point of time, I think because you know, if you look at the post-COVID situation, uh, there are some possibilities. I mean, it's always easy to be cynical, but, you know, certain states have reached the saturation. And if you look at sectors like pharma, uh, and if you look to some extent, even IT, there are opportunities uh, for Punjab. But again, you know, I mean, I, I, it's it depends upon the uh, policymakers over there. But theoretically, uh, if you look at the rest of the, you know, post-COVID, a number of states were very aggressive in reaching out, you know, to companies which may want to shift from China. I don't think whether, I don't really don't know whether Punjab has shown that urgency, but if they do, uh, there are clear areas where things can improve. And the second part is, let's also face it, that post-COVID, if immigration becomes tougher, the paradigm of the Punjab economy will have to change. Whether we, it will, it will cause short-term problems, but a lot of people who are getting out will have to look at opportunities back home as well. That, that's that's also reality. Now, whether they look for opportunities outside Punjab and India, 
I mean, I can't comment on that. But if you have to shape, uh, reshape your, the economy of Punjab, uh, more opportunities will have to be created. And the government now has its back to the wall because your remittances are dropping as it is. Uh, there are more outward remittances. And uh, you have other economic problems because of GST and all. So I think this is the time where in a couple of sectors, you can encourage this uh, startup culture. And again, it's about identifying two areas. If we start saying, you know, we're going to look at 10 areas and encourage startup culture, it's not happening. Start off with, I don't see anything wrong with a pilot project. So be it pharma, be it uh, health, be it whatever. I think we have to start there. And that will help with the soft power part of uh, uh, Punjab and Punjabis otherwise, definitely. Uh, no problem. So the question was, what is the status of a global sick economy slash cyber currency? Yeah, so I think Harinder uh, uh, you would be in a better position to answer this question. Uh, I uh, am not in a position to answer this question at this point. Harinder no or Amanji. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'll uh, yes, throw it back to Harinder Singh, um, both for the question and yeah, for any closing remarks that he'd like to delegate to everyone. Sure, you know, so on the economy, look, there is, I'm only aware of one work where they actually try to understand the state of philanthropy of diaspora towards Punjab. There really isn't any work which can even do conformal mapping of what that global sick economy looks like. But we have anecdotes. We have successful businessmen and women in some cases we have certain entrepreneurs which are related to business community. We have certain what I call uh, power index raters, which means their relationships with people in Punjab or in India, those exist. But the, uh, the actual sort of numbers related to that in terms of dollar or rupee values, we are not aware of that. And I think uh, that work needs to be done, uh, people who are into understanding economies and economists as well. On the, I, I do want to comment and then we'll close this off. Uh, on the, uh, you know, today is, as they say, Pandra Agast, uh, you know, and Pandra Agast of 2020, one of the clarities which can be developed in this 2020, which we, I feel we need to develop uh, for the both Punjab and six is, we must understand from a Sikh perspective, where to develop the ideas also. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. So I'm going to start there, which for us comes from Guru Granth Sahib. Guru Granth Sahib remains our charter. And this idea of nationalism in Guru Granth Sahib is very different. In the practice of it was very different as well. Guru Nanak covered the geopolitics from Saudi Arabia to Sri Lanka. And by the way, both of those countries have had enough of human rights violations. And one even has an inquiry in last 10 years of the way they defeated their countrymen by how the president and his brother came up with the conspiracies to defeat. And there's a UN inquiry on that. And the other one, even the US power has been uh, working with to hide some of their things in Saudi Arabia, that is. My point is Guru Nanak was very aware of that. And in his awareness, he started the idea of Kartarpur. And the idea continued till Guru Gobind Singh, which was at Anandpur, and it went via Amritsar, right in the middle of it through Guru Arjun. And it had detours even through Bihar. Why am I invoking all this? The ideas remain the same. The reality of 2020 will be changing, whether you do something about it or not. There are people, there are natural forces which will change it. 
and there are human forces, what we now call, you know, the economics and the politics, which will shape it. We have a role to play. We have always played a role. We have always played a role even after Lucas. Within a few months, we had a major role to play. I think this is where the strength for six and our relationship with Punjab needs to be rediscovered uh, through the value system of Guru Granth Sahib, where this principle of Ikkumankar needs to be rediscovered and reinterpreted for the geopolitical realities of today. Our own mindfulness needs to be brought in from that angle. And whatever alliances we build, whatever linguistic ideas we bring about, whatever market economies we are discussing, whatever soft power we want to build, whatever uh, entrepreneur abilities we want to import to India in order to make the not just the psyche, but also the economic condition better, and the Sikh politics, whether it involves Akal Tak Jathedars or the DGNC and DSGMCs of the world, they all need to start from re-envisioning and imagining. And in that imagination, we make uh, pragmatic choices, which is how I see uh, Sikhs uh, who are serious about this need to be start, need to get going with. Uh, they need to dream big and then see what part of the dream can be achieved with which alliance. Thank you, Hunter Singh. Um, yeah, I would encourage everyone now, uh, we can go around and I would love to hear everyone's uh, yeah, any closing remarks they would have um, before we wrap today's webinar up. Uh, Amandeep Singh, if we could start with you. Uh, thank you so much, Manvinder. Uh, there's only one more thing I want to add, and this is my huge uh, issue with Punjab as well. And the blame here goes to my gender. Uh, I've written three books. I will write more. And I know that I'm up against a wall and I keep breaking my head with it. I really, really urge Punjabi women to come out more, talk, share their thoughts, articulate themselves, because we, I personally do not want to see a narrative of Punjab which is only, only male. And overwhelmingly, that is what it becomes. It tends to become. I think going forward, it is my real request to the women of Punjab everywhere in the world to speak, to talk, to tell their stories. I want to listen to them. That's all. Thank you. And thank you very much to Sikri. I just got a message saying that my optical fiber was cut, so I lost the connection. I'm very sorry to all the audience. Not a problem. We definitely understand. Thank you so much for joining us through Dial-In. Um, we really appreciate you having uh, yeah, a voice in this conversation. Uh, if you'd like to add any closing remarks. So the first thing is, I mean, just that, you know, you there is going to be no perfect situation. You create a, you, first of all, we need to be a position where, you know, we, whether it's in India or whether it's overseas or wherever, once you know you become more influential, then you can work towards creating that sort of situation which you're looking at. So you've got to navigate a lot of problems. If you're going to wait that this particular situation will arise and then we'll respond to it, that is not happening. That's the first thing. Second thing is in terms of, I would like to re-emphasize that in terms of the greater dialogue between youngsters uh, of the diaspora and youngsters in India, because what is also happening is there's another divide which is emerging between, you know, within the diaspora, people who have migrated recently from India and who, people who have been there for very long. So we need to really look at if the Sikh community needs to do something constructive, this gap 
between Sikhs and India and the diaspora really needs to be broken down. And through concerted efforts, it can be. I think that's a first step towards a lot solutions for a lot of areas, economic, social, uh, and even religious. So that's all I'd like to say. Thank you. And lastly, Harinder Singh, if there's anything you'd like to add. Sure. You know, the first people's perspective written from a Sikh perspective, or from a Sikh angle on the Punjab was done by Ratan Singh Pangu. And I was just recalling him. And he, he, he has an incident where he says, Guru Gobind Singh Sahib Maharaj is asking the Sikhs, what would you like? And the you know six say Punjab mango, and he say, he says Uttar mango, Dakhan mango. You know, ask for the other areas, and he says no, hum Punjab mango. The reason mm -hmm. I was recording this right now is six and Punjab are inseparable, and I think anytime we like to divorce those, it creates you know a lot of problems. The, there is there is a special subset of six and Punjab. It will always remain there. It always was, and it will always be invoked, even by in the current Indian confine, because this is what mostly we were discussing, you know, it has become very clear now with the statements of Chief Minister of Madhya Pradesh and daughter of the chair of the Indian National Party, Priyanka, that they speak what Sikhs have been saying for since 84, specifically, that Indian National Congress and BJP are exactly same. They both play to the cards of Hindu nationalism. It has become blatantly clear in last two, uh, two weeks. So I think Sikhs do foresee certain things. Sikhs do live in their psyche with the value system of Guru Granth Sahib. And I completely agree with both Amandeep and Tridivesh that we need to become better uh, at articulating it, better at dreaming it, and better at making things happen by representation and inclusion of uh, the the not just the gender, which I completely agree with, but also acknowledging the caste dynamics and making sure we are carrying all castes in, the, in our caravan, just like the gurus did. Thank you. Yes, thank you for this conversation. I think as both a woman and a member of the diaspora, I think it, it gave me a lot to reflect on and a lot to think about. And it definitely, yeah, encouraged me to continue on in my endeavors of studying uh, Sikh and Punjabi history. Um, yeah, I would like to thank everyone for this in-depth and insightful conversation. The chat and the question and answer were quite lively, and I think this engagement from the audience speaks for itself. Um, I think particularly the conversation around Punjabiyat and Punjabiness, um, apart from the stereotypes, is so important, not just for the diaspora, but globally. Um, having engagement between these three Punjabs that we were talking about is possible and can include what they're saying so wonderfully outlined as the Bhangra and the Tanduri chicken, but we can push even further um, and see beyond this monolithic identity that's often depicted um, and understand ourselves more cohesively and holistically. I would like to thank everyone again for joining in, uh, spending your Saturday morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be with us. Uh, today's webinar will be ending now. Thank you for listening to this webinar. You can look at upcoming webinars on our website at sickre.org. And while you're there, please consider becoming a donor. It's with the help from our audiences that the team at Sikri is able to continue exploring sick knowledge and illuminating the voices in the community. 
or consider becoming a supporter of the SIGCAST by clicking on support on our anchor.fm page, or you can use the link in this episode's description. However, this podcast is free to all, so if you do like the show, tell some of your friends and family about us. You are listening to SIGCAST by SIG Research Institute, illuminating every path.